tell us what you think God has done. Okay, so somebody might have prayed for you and they were accurate in what they said, uh, whether they thought, thought God was saying, or you might have experienced something new, or you might have received a new gift. You just changed the program, so I'm just telling the band. It's a massive power struggle. Is, is, is anybody here for the first time, just as a matter of interest? You put a hand in the air if you're here. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you came in at this late notice. You're very welcome. My name is John. I'm strangely English. Um, so basically, uh, we're going to have another couple of songs, and then we'll hear from people what their experience has been. And then we'll, we'll in fact, what we're going to do after that is get me on and off as fast as possible. Not that that will be fast, but it will be faster than it might have been. And then, and then we'll have a longer period of worship, and we'll ask God to do something else. So, Jones, can you muster up another couple of songs from somewhere? Don't worry about me. It's always difficult to be the first one, but we need about ten. So, come on. Oh, one. Come on, other people. Other people, come and just sit around here. We don't want to do a long wait between each one. A few more. Well done. Keep going. A few more. Thank you. Two or three more, you know you want to. And while you're coming, you know, just think about what you're going to say so that you just convict you saying it as quickly as you can. Look at that, evenly matched between men and women. Brilliant. Okay, starting with you. No, no, come up here. Yeah. Now, what's going to happen is I'm going to hold the microphone. You just say your name and then go for it. My name is Alyssa, and God gave me the gift to get rid of the um, pain that I had within myself because my father told me I would never amount to anything. No man would ever love me. And that is a bunch of rotten potatoes in a corner right now. <laughs> and um, he also was kind enough to give me the brightest, most beautiful, deep-rooted orange carrots that had the most beautiful green parsley tops. And he was walking with me with his left arm around me and his potato sack cloak. And I had a huge basket of beautifully bright orange carrots. And, and so, are, are, you saying, <laughs> are you saying that you, you, you saw this in, the, in a healing seminar? Is that right? Yes, it was actually, thank you, Stephen. Um, it was actually practice for the inner healing tonight that we did yesterday. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And that makes the point <coughs> that um, makes the point, doesn't it? That some of the things, as I mentioned this morning, some of the things that we carry in our lives are just awful. They're awful. That kind of pain is awful. So, if God has been able to bring some healing to those pains, that's a fantastic thing. So. Just going to have to lift the thing right up here. What's your name? Brian. Good name. Yeah. So um, basically just this past, this past month, the Lord's really been showing me in um, just incredible ways, really powerful ways, um, whether through like spoken word things um, and uh, just kind of really leading me in so many different ways that have been um, just incredible, um, unexplainable. And... Um, I've just been kind of calling that out, really praying for that, really praying for um, the Lord to just show up and really heal the wounds that um, 
kind of have been just so deeply rooted in me and I'm kind of dealing with that. And just in worship this morning, um, like the spirit just was so evident. And when I held my hands out, I felt just his presence so clearly. And so I came up here and it was to the point where I was almost falling over and eventually I did fall over um, uh, because the spirit was just so, so strong and so many different prophetic words and um, literally just laying on the floor for probably an hour just feeling from starting from my toes all the way up just an anointing and feeling like I was two people almost with just so much power from from the Holy Spirit Um, so it was just kind of very unexplainable I I would say but really um, just very powerful very like an answer to prayer just being able to experience the Holy Spirit like that and so so the prayer was for a measure of emotional healing but also to be anointed by God to do things yeah yeah thank you Brian that's brilliant So, Brian, somebody that's been seeking God's presence for a while, and uh, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, uh, they, they fall. Historically, that's happened a lot. It actually happens in the New Testament as well, where people come to arrest Jesus. The, the guards say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am, the name of God, accidentally, at which point they fall to the floor. And so he has to rephrase it, I, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, and then it's all right, they can arrest him. Um, in the Old Testament, the priests of God couldn't stand up to minister in the temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The word for glory in Hebrew is weight, has a connotation of weight. So sometimes when the glory of God comes, the weight of God comes, and so people just... And the fact is, there's nothing particularly spiritual about falling over or not falling over. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. All these things, if I hit your knee, it will spasm. It's the way we're made. Um, and so sometimes people shake, they cry, they laugh. They're external things which indicate something important going on inside. The only time a physical manifestation of the Spirit's important is if God is actually healing something physical. Otherwise, they're like knee-jerk reactions. I mean, it's great that people are experiencing the Spirit, but it's what happens inside. The reason I love this stuff is not because of the drama that you see. It's because of the complete change of personality and, and the empowerment of people who then go out and do incredible things. That's what's actually interesting. But the process is messy and rather fun, um, uh, but it's not the main deal. Yes. Thank you for waiting. Come up. Yeah, lawyers together. In any form. No, no, you'll be fine. Just imagine that you're, you're just presenting a final case. <laughs> Name? Rose. Rose, that's right. What's been happening? Well, this, is, this weekend is kind of a culmination of what God has been doing over a period of time. Um, along with some of my friends from a church up in Hollywood, we've been doing like a prayer series on learning how to pray and practicing praying. And um, I feel like this weekend was just God confirming some things he's already started and I've been in kind of a period of dormancy. I had a really vibrant life, then moved back to back to Long Beach with my parents, and kind of like, what, what's going on? Like, this is the season of like waiting and just being still. And Thursday night, before we came here at um, a prayer thing at Basilea, somebody gave me the word bloom, and and kind of prayed into that. And then last night, another person who I've never met before, who doesn't even know my name is like flower related, had the word blossom. And then um, there's so much. There are so many other words that I can't go into. But I spent all last night. I, could, I was like so excited about what happened last night that I couldn't sleep, and so I decided to research flowers. 
and realize that roses, which is my name, are the type of flower that need a period of extreme cold and almost like dormancy before they can bloom. And it just like totally went along with things they were saying and um, just some of the like self-esteem and identity issues. Like I always am afraid like I'm going to hurt other people because they have a really strong personality and just dating relationships like where I've been told that in you know, those things and I feel hurt by you. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't. I love you. You're a fantastic person like myself. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, it was it was interesting because last night I was reading about roses and it turns out they don't actually have thorns. They have prickles and the prickles are not to defend or hurt people. They're actually to like join on to other vegetation to support themselves. And then today, Darren had a word for me where he saw a flower in the midst of thorns that were like true thorns. And it was just this crazy, I'm like really not a botanist, but. Like, you are now. <laughs> right, fantastic, thank you very much. Wow. <clears throat> so. It's very it's indicative of the very personal way that God speaks to people. You know, something specific to them, isn't it? It's interesting how that happens. Hello. I'm, I'm good, thank you. What's your name? Erin. Erin, what's been happening? Well, um, the Holy Spirit is alive within me, and um, it is very humbling. And um, I wasn't even going to come up here, but I just felt compelled to. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Um, and something pretty amazing happened this week to me where the Holy Spirit truly, I believe, saved my life. Uh, and I was in my home on Tuesday, and um, I had a very, um, I felt the Holy Spirit not allowing me to move back into my garage. And I heard something in the back, and it was that moment where I just felt, do not go to the back. And about, um, it was happened on Tuesday, about four minutes later, I walked out to the front, and um, long story short, um, the next door neighbors uh, were um, broken into, and um, there were three men, and um, my neighbor was shot at, um, and he's okay, everyone's okay. Um, but the, the beauty of it for me is the peace that God is in control, and we are not, and to listen to that and have the Holy Spirit within me, um, it's just a reminder that that it is um, God's plan and uh, the love that I feel and the Holy Spirit within me, I, I believe, um, is it will, I don't believe I know, will guide me my whole life and that there's no reason to be afraid. And um, that's... Thank, thank you, and that's fantastic, isn't it? Thank you. <clears throat> So again, you know, we read about that in the Bible, don't we, where the Holy Spirit speaks to people. And yeah, I remember, you know, warning, there was a warning, wasn't there, um, to Paul not to go into a certain place and so on. So the Spirit does speak. And uh, it's amazing when we, when we hear such a dramatic life-saving instance like that. So, Brock. Okay, it's Brock. So uh, I, I guess just the, the word that I just wanted to share with you guys too is, it, you know, John had kind of said, come on down. I mean, he asked me to come up front and, and you know, sometimes skeptic, well, okay, what, what in the world, what does he want me to do? Is my, am I supposed to come speak? Uh, and he had me come forward and you know what, when he laid his hand uh, towards my chest and began to give this word, I first thought, oh no, what's this about? 
And yet I knew that this is God. And he was just supposed to be that instrument that's sharing it. And, and just to let you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor at Rock Harbor, Huntington Beach. And, and we're a new, uh, a new campus over there. And it's, it's just, it's exciting and things are happening. But you know, you have those questions. You have those questionable things. And, and just as he began to pray and he began to share these words, he was beginning to talk about, your, your parking lot is beginning to get very full, and it will get very full. And he talked about this warehouse that is overflowing, and that's the places where we're getting ready to go, and, we're, and I'm beginning to worry and thinking about those things. And, and when he was saying this and when he's beginning to, to pour this out, I realized it was so specific, and he knew nothing about that. And then I, I realized, for me, it was, I felt, and, and, you know, and I'm not always the feely guy, but I was totally feeling this sense, if you've ever run a marathon or done some extreme sport thing, where you're finally done and the adrenaline's going and you sit down and it's like this, this heat just comes all over. And that's what I was experiencing all over. Like, whoa, is this real? And I knew that that was just the Lord. And I just thank you for being obedient to even almost forcing me to come forward by doing this. One of my special gifts. Yes, and I realized that through this day that that was God's biggest thing he was talking to me about is to step out in boldness and not to hold back when God says to do something, but to truly walk in it. And not to be afraid if I do say a word that maybe is a little bit off. Because I know that if I am opening up for the Lord, then he's going to do amazing things. But I know if I just keep my mouth shut, he's going to use someone else. So it was just for me, it was just a true step of being bold and standing out for who we represent, which is Christ. Fantastic, bro. Thank you very much. Sir. What's your name again? I'm Kevin. That's it, Kevin. Um, What's God been doing? Um, I've been kind of uh, off doing my own thing for about the last year and um, just kind of wallowing in sh- a lot of shame and brokenness and just kind of like letting that keep me out of the game and uh, just a lot of self-hatred and all that kind of stuff, uh, condemnation and whatever. But um, last night I just uh, I came forward for prayer and uh, just a lot of restoration uh, in, the, in, my, in the prayer that was uh, made over me and um, just re-speaking back to me my identity in Christ. And that's something that the, the enemy is really good at stripping me of, especially when I kind of go away. But, um, and, you know, it ended in, you know, crying, laughing, speaking in tongues, just all kinds of stuff. And just in one day, in one night, you know, God's done so much restoration to me and just given me hope again. Yeah. So That's fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Wow. <clears throat> Thank you so much to everybody who said something, particularly those who talked about very personal things. I mean, you, you have been, you've been amazing in, in being so open and uh, allowing you know, strange people to pray for you. And uh, I hope that gives you an idea of, of some of the, the ways in which God has been restoring people, healing them, and empowering them. I think we saw all three things there, didn't we? Um, is anybody going to die if they don't come and say something? Because sometimes people will come up to me afterwards and say, I wish I'd said something, but I, I, didn't, I wasn't brave enough, or I, I wish there was an opportunity. Just in case anybody else wants to say something. Okay, thank you. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> you want to change the habit of a lifetime? Come on. 
What's your name? I'm Amy. Yes, Amy, go. And, uh, well, earlier today, I, uh, before I got here, I was praying and just spending some time. I'm like, God, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to restore people through laughter today. You know, last night we cried. You know, but today we're going to laugh. Come on. You know, it's like... <laughs> Is that what you're... Just keep going. But... <laughs> But it's true, and he does. He wants to restore people today through laughter. And I just wanted to tell that, because I feel like... Can, Amy, can I just check? Are you the person that Chris had a word for about their laugh? Oh, my dear goodness me. Okay, thank you. That's absolutely brilliant, Amy. Now, Chris was, Chris was talking about a strange word of knowledge that he had. When, when praying for someone, probably you're here, I don't know. And he felt God saying to him, um, you need to say to her that her, her laugh is like a gift. And um, because Chris has been doing this for long enough, he knew that although that was odd and didn't mean anything to him, it might mean something to the person, so he said it. And he said, look, you know, do, do, people, do people actually, do they like your laugh? Which is just a you know, quite embarrassing thing to say to somebody. And, and he said, well, actually, they do, yes. And just, he just looked at them, and then the friends were there, and they're going, yeah, we love her laugh, you know. And then Chris is starting to say, you know, this is, this is a gift, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we were talking about it in the car, and I've been making jokes about it ever since. And, <laughs> and we, we, had a little, we had a little joke, a time of prayer, in which, um, in which Chris said, you know, Jesus, can you please make sure that somebody talks about the gift of laughter? So <laughs> there you are. <laughs> The thing is, I will never hear the end of that. No. <clears throat> All right, that's enough laughing. Now, the thing is, I have been working out, that, that, that does remind me, actually, the last time I was in Jacksonville, just to show how normal you are as opposed to the people of Jacksonville, I'm just, I'm walking along through just a little, you know, villagey area with a few shops, and um, walking along, minding my own business, and um, this young couple come parallel with me, and the woman looks at me and she says, great pasture. <laughs> I'm not joking. And... I was a bit stunned, but basically, um, because nobody's ever said that to me before, uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> and um, so I, you know, being sort of male and hypochondriac, immediately start going into a little rant about how I, I ended up damaging my knee because I bought these shoes, they gave me blisters. I tried to twist my foot round to see my knee and I actually tore a cartilage in my knee. Only I could do that. And so basically I was talking about that and then I saw this personal trainer for a while and he taught me some posture exercises. So I managed to tell this woman I've never met all of that in about one minute. And, uh, and I, I said, well, maybe it's to do with that. You know? And she said, yeah, you've got great posture. Um, and I said, well, you know, I, I said, how do, you, how do you know about posture? Thinking she's going to tell me she's a personal trainer or some kind of medical person. And she says, she looks at me and she goes, because I died and came back to life. <laughs> and I said, oh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and the guy who's standing there with us going, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um... So she said, yeah, I nearly died, and now I just know everything. I know you've got great posture. And, um, she... She said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm visiting a church that I was involved in starting uh, in Jacksonville. And she said, oh, what does it stand for? And I said, oh, you know, the usual things. Jesus, son of God, raised from the dead. <laughs> like me, she said. Anyway, that was just an amusing aside. So I know there's a slight danger of our brains turning to mush by this stage uh, in proceedings, and I'm going to try and get on and off within a short time frame. Short is a relative term, but it will be comparatively short. I'm going to try. Um, and so I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the experiences of the first disciples with the Holy Spirit, and then the gifts of the Spirit. It'll be the whistle-stop tour. Are you ready to focus and concentrate? Good. Okay, so let's begin with the concept of the Trinity, God as one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I know this might come as a shock, but the idea of the Trinity is an argument from experience. First of all, it's the experience of the nation of Israel. There was one God who broke into their history in a particular way and set them free from captivity. In Exodus 20, verses 2 to 3, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That was the distinctive experience of the people of God, that there was one God, right? You know that. That's experience number one. Experience number two is the experience of the monotheistic disciples of Jesus, the Israeli disciples of Jesus, who nevertheless came to the conclusion, despite their monotheism, based on their experience, that Jesus was the same as that one God. And they set about trying to articulate that. So, for example, Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. That's quite a, an amazing statement, isn't it? The image of something invisible, the image of the invisible God. And uh, then after, they, after the disciples received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they found that the same God was still with them, speaking to them and empowering them to do the very works that Jesus did. So the idea of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is an argument from experience. The beginning experience of the nation of Israel they had in common, then the particular experience of the disciples of Jesus, and then their experience on the day of Pentecost and there ever afterwards. So it's as if God comes closer and closer and closer. Now, um, <clears throat> I have been having an ongoing traumatic experience while I've been staying in a hotel involving lifts. And the thing is... Lifts and English people do not go together. Elevators, excuse me, you haven't got the right, even got the right word for these things. Elevators, the, we don't go together, the English and elevators, because, see, if I, was, if I was in this hotel with my wife in an elevator, she wouldn't talk to me. Every English person knows that elevators are not a place for social intercourse. You don't talk to people you know, let alone people you do not know. And also, on our buses, is that the correct word, bus? Yeah. On our buses, there is a reason why there are so many seats. That is so that individual people can sit on those seats and never speak to another person. Ever. Um, <clears throat> so basically, we understand that. That's the way things are. And, um, and so, so God is like a person standing next to you in, a, in an elevator who not only does, does he not disregard you, but he's literally standing right in front of you, staring in your face, <laughs> wanting to talk. Rather like an American. <clears throat> but not so much like an Australian. 
So we've got Australians in our hotel as well, and they're, they're adhering to the rules. They know what to do. There's like five of them in there, and they all know each other. They're all talking before they get in, and they're talking when they get out. But in the elevator, <laughs> God is like the kind of person who comes right up. He's like an American. comes right up to you in your face. Hello? <laughs> Can I just check? Are you having a nice day? <laughs> Great posture. You know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, imagine that you are English and you're sitting on the top deck of a red double-decker bus in London on your own. You've gone up specifically to be entirely on your own. There are about four people downstairs. But you have chosen the upstairs of the double-decker bus as your own personal domain to be what you know you should be alone. There you are, alone, in a chair and in a seat. And basically, you can hear this huffing and puffing. <laughs> Happy whistling and general rustling of bags and there's somebody coming up the stairs. I mean, even that is a bit of a downer, but it doesn't matter because there are plenty of chairs. Coming nearer, a bit of panting, goes on and on. And finally, finally, this old lady with a big old lady with tons of bags plonks herself down right next to you. Right next to you, and the bags spill over into your chair, into your personal space. And she turns around and says, "Hello." <laughs> God's like that. God takes up more of His fair share of personal space. He comes nearer and nearer and nearer. So. You see, the God of the Old Testament was in many ways beyond understanding. They didn't know his name. You couldn't create an image of him, etc. Jesus makes God real and personal. He comes as close as breathing and as near as, near as hands and feet. Sweats, laughs, eats. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who actually lives within us, comes right into the depths of our being. Okay, so God comes closer and closer and closer. The work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, really, if anything, we have an enigmatic picture of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is poured out on particular people at particular times for particular purposes, but he's not given to most people a few kings and prophets. Um, He's like the wind that whistles through the cedar trees of Israel, a strong, boisterous wind. God sends it, he controls it, he causes it to cease. All the people are grass, says Isaiah in Isaiah 46 to 8. All the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord, the the ruach, the, the breath of the Lord, blows on them. Surely the people are grass. And that's how the Old Testament writers stress that we cannot organize or domesticate God. In the New Testament, there's an explosive new activity of the Spirit, with Jesus appearing as the first Spirit-filled person. And on Friday night, I reminded us of his manifesto, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, Luke 4, verses 18 to 19, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as we know, Jesus went around preaching the message of the kingdom of God and demonstrating his authority by performing signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit. But just before he died, he said something genuinely confusing to his disciples, which is, it is better that I go from you. What he meant was the process by which he would go via the cross and the resurrection would enable God, who had already come close, to come closer still, to actually not simply be in front of them as a person anointed by the Spirit, but to come and dwell within them by his very presence. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 16, would be like an advocate. He'd be one like Jesus, doing for them what he had done when he was on earth, what Jesus had done when he was on earth in the flesh. And as we know, they received the the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So, who is the Holy Spirit? 
The Holy Spirit is not an atmosphere or a ghost. He's not the Holy Ghost of the King James Version. By the way, it's good to take your copy of the King James Version and put it next to your copy of Shakespeare. It's quite good to know you've got it, and then it's really important never to read it again. (laughs) Get a translation that is at least modern, comprehensible, and dare I say, even vaguely accurate. Not the message. That's like just an interesting transliteration. Also a work of literature. Get a decent translation according to your level of knowledge of the Bible. If you're a comparatively young Christian, get something really basic. I had something called the Good News Bible. Do you ever have that one? Okay, it's great because it's got pictures. The problem is you can't colour them in. I discovered that you can't colour them in because if you do, you can't read the text on the other side. It's just a little hint. Get something simple. Get something comparatively accurate. But get rid of the King James Version that that Granny gave you when you were confirmed or that some strange church has made you read. Can I just say, it's a bad translation. It was a good job for whenever it was written, but now we need to get rid of it together with Shakespeare. I mean, you know, nice to have them, but that's it. He's not the Holy Ghost. That's the point. He's not a ghost. He's not a special feeling. He's not a special feeling when we sing these songs, right? He's the third person of the Trinity. He's the one in whose dimension of life we experience God when we experience God. He's the one who helps us live fully human lives and fulfill our destiny upon the earth. He's the one who convinces us that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for us. He's the one who speaks to us, who helps us to understand the Bible, teaches us to pray. He's the one who moves our hearts, who convicts us of wrongdoing, who gives us dreams, etc., etc. It's vital to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. He is not an it. He's a person. Christianity is not merely about church attendance, as we know. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian the same way that going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. We know that, right? Basically, it's emphatically Christianity, not a religion. Christianity is the opposite of a religion. It is a relationship. And there is all the difference in the world between a religion and a relationship. Karl Barth, the um, German theologian, said that religion is the height of our rebellion against God. And he's right. Religion is a very bad thing. Fortunately, we're not part of a religion. Are you religious? People say to me, no, I say. I lead a church. Christianity is not a moral code. It's a living relationship in which we come to know and experience God for ourselves in Christ by the power of the Spirit. This is going really well. We're on section two. Okay, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we've all been given of one spirit to drink. We've been baptized into one spirit. And as I mentioned on Friday, the context of his teaching about the Holy, uh, of the Holy Spirit there is one of baptism. He's been pastorally not remembering the fact that he's baptized some people. He can't quite remember who he's baptized and who he hasn't because he's really not that pastoral. And basically, he's been thinking about baptism, so he goes on to say, you know what, we've all been baptized into one spirit, given one spirit to drink. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, but... After Jesus was resurrected, during his resurrection appearances, he instructed the disciples to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. In Acts 1, verses 3 to 4, he says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And so, in a way, the coming of the Holy Spirit is related to the progression of the kingdom of God. 
right? And if you think about it, Jesus did not announce the message of the kingdom of God until the Holy Spirit had come upon him. So it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples that they begin to then proclaim the message of the risen Christ. So basically, they are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as we know. And Pentecost is like a Jewish festival celebrating two things, the giving of the law and the first fruits of the harvest. And so lots of Jews from around the ancient Near East were in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the pouring out of the Spirit on the first disciples is really quite dramatic. Um, I'll just read it to you. Um, when the day of Pentecost came, this is Acts 2, Uh, Verse 1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared amongst them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. At this sound the crown gathered was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished they asked, aren't all these people Galileans, etc.? And then they go on to say, maybe they're drunk. What does this mean? Others sneered. Have they been filled with new wine? (laughs) That kind of thing. So, basically, it's like a kind of spiritual audio-visual presentation, the day of Pentecost. The disciples appear to hear something, like the blowing of a violent wind. They appear to see something, like tongues of fire descending and falling upon them. They feel something. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke's language is like that of a tropical rainstorm. It's as if they've been totally drenched in a downpour. That's what he's trying to say. And also, they do something. They speak in tongues. And uh, there isn't time to do this, but I'd refer you to the experience of Saul, which you read about in Acts 9. In verse 1, he's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But by verse 20, he's going to everybody announcing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what happens in between is his famous road to Damascus encounter, in which Ananias, a disciple, draws the spiritual short straw and basically he's he's required to go and speak to the murdering religious Saul um, about um, the Lord Jesus and uh, you know Ananias has that kind of conversation that we often have when God is really speaking to us in which we say no 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 I'm never ever going to do that and then if we're sensible we finally lose the battle and then we go and do what we've been required to do and then miraculous things happen to Saul because he has of course been rendered blind but Ananias turns up lays hands on him and then he gets his sight back gets baptized, blah, blah, blah. So quite powerful, really, the experience of the coming of uh, the Spirit upon Saul in chapter 9, verse 17. And then one of my favorites, um, one of my favorites, not for literary reasons, it's one of the worst sections of the Bible, but basically I do find this quite amusing. In Acts 10, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. So this is the first time Gentiles have been filled with the Spirit. And it's all about Peter, and he has a vision, and um, he doesn't like the vision, has an argument with God, and then basically he's got all these Gentiles, they turn up at his house, and he feels like he's got to go with the Gentiles, so he goes off to their house, and the point is Jews didn't enter houses of Gentiles, but he goes anyway and then he preaches the gospel interminably for hours in Acts 10 it's really dull it's so dull that basically the Holy Spirit gets bored and falls on the, the, the Gentiles while he's still speaking in fact it actually said, Luke actually says while Peter was still speaking the word I don't know whether you've ever felt that in church while the pastor is still speaking probably felt that this weekend several times 
So let me just read this to you in Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, in other words, who come with Peter, were astounded that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter goes, well, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And others, well, I hadn't quite finished. I had a few more sections. But, um, okay, right, on to the baptism. I've got the message. It's going to make you feel a bit insecure. So, from these three brief vignettes, we can see, first of all, that the coming of the Holy Spirit is often powerful and discernible. So, we've heard a little of that over the course of this weekend. When the power of the Spirit comes, it can be quite overwhelming. It is something beyond us. And that can happen when we first experience the Spirit. It can happen to us several times in our lives. Um, Doesn't really matter which. Um, But often when the Spirit comes, it is quite a drama. And uh, basically, you know, I have the privilege of of trying to reach people who believe in nothing. And so what we do is we do this life course, which is a kind of evangelistic course, runs week by week, and it's really about meaning. And then we have a weekend away, which involves things dear to the English, drinking, karaoke, and some teaching about God. And then on Saturday, we take away all the chairs and we ask the Spirit to come. And they've literally got no idea that's going to happen. Absolutely. And we don't tell them. Um, so basically, I like to apologize afterwards. I find that works a lot better. And so basically, they, they all stand up there going, what is going to happen? I'm standing with my hands out. What? And, and so they, they just don't see it coming. And then we, we invite the Spirit to come. And very, very often they have a powerful encounter with the Spirit. And the great thing about them is they have literally no Christian background at all. So they, they just believe what you tell them. So, so then, you know, about half an hour later, I'll say things like, as, as we just read in the Bible, you know, um, it's quite common when the Holy Spirit comes for people to speak in tongues. So should we have a go at that? Well, I mean, by that stage, why not? They've seen people bouncing around. They've probably been rolling around the floor themselves, you know. They could well be terrified, which they often are, but that's quite good, you see, because fear and awe are regular responses to Jesus and the Gospels. And it is frightening, isn't it, when you're not in control and you think the God that you think you've been investigating, well, I'll have a little chat about meaning. That sounds interesting. I'm quite spiritual. Suddenly shows up and starts doing things to people you know in your group, if not you, from nowhere. You know, um, so it is frightening, but that's good. I like people to be a bit frightened, if I'm being honest. Or at least I like people to have something to be frightened about. Well, my personal pet hatred is asking the Spirit to come and everybody's all very gentle and nice. I like it to be like an almighty wind. And then I like people to come to me and be very, very scared about it. And then find it's fine. Because once you've seen it a few times and you realize that nobody actually died and that people have been completely changed, as we heard a few minutes ago then you stop being worried about it at all. And it becomes a wonderful thing and a means of healing and something you want to do to other people. And you go from 0 to 90 very quickly. Anyway, the point is that uh, it's, it's easier with people that don't have any Christian baggage, to be honest. So the coming of the Spirit is often powerful and discernible, and we see that in the Bible, which is obviously where we need to see things. Um, And I offer the reflection that powerful encounters with the Spirit are humbling because they make it clear who is God around here and who is not. And we need to be reminded of that. And they're refreshing, filling us with a new sense of God's love for us. Paul talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts in Romans 5, verse 5. And of course, the demonstration of God's power often provokes questions. As we see in the book of Acts, people think they're drunk. People are astonished by what's going on. Is it genuinely astonishing when God moves in power? 
And uh, I, as I said, I just don't think that's a, that's a bad initial reaction. You know, let, let me just mention briefly the first time I ever invited the Spirit to come upon a group of people. They were teenagers. And basically, I was responsible for looking after the kids of Christian parents. And there's about maybe 40 of them. And it was quite early in the week. We had them for a whole week. We were in some kind of public school. And there were lots, lots of sports activities, optional seminars in the afternoon. And my friend was doing a little chat about worship. So seminars like today is one that Chris was doing, but actually quite good. And basically, um, the, and I'm sure Chris's was very good. I'll have to listen to it later, and then I'll have to reassure him that it was good. And he'll go through lots of self-doubts, and we'll just go through it again. Um, anyway, um, no, none of that's true. Um, but basically, you know, he's far too overconfident. Anyway, the thing is, um, so basically my friend John was doing, a, uh, was doing this seminar on worship, and I found that all the kids had come to it. And so I have to say, look, you know it's optional. You don't have to be here. It's a beautiful day. Do you want to go? Now, I should have realized something was afoot. We had a team of 10 people. And um, before the kids came in, we had a little pray in the room. And when I opened my eyes, I discovered that five of the team had slipped off their chairs and were lying on the floor. So we had to pick them up and carry them out of the room because they couldn't move on their own at all. Now, I should have put two and two together and thought, hang on, this doesn't happen every day, does it? Anyway, I didn't think that at all. I don't know why. But we had to stack them in a side room, these five people. They never made it into the meeting. They never even got into the meeting. And then, and then, basically, and then basically, nobody left. More people came. So I tried to get rid of them. They all came back. Then more people came from other areas of the sort of holiday. Little kids, parents, they're all pouring into this little room. And basically, he does his talk on worship, what is worship. And, um, and then I say, hey, do you want to go now? Nope. More people are coming. And then basically, it's like, um, okay, well, let's do a bit of this worship then, shall we? So, so John leads some worship. And basically, as he starts leading worship, the spirit starts moving. And so other people are being knocked to the floor. They just, one minute, they're just standing there singing the songs. Then they're on the floor. Then they're crying. Some of them are screaming. One of them, one of them runs out of the room and starts rolling around on the grass. This is the son of the guy that's running the whole thing. And basically, he's, he's going, I'm so unclean. I'm so unclean. Like those stories you hear about revival, when the spirit falls on conviction on people. Now, nobody's talked about that at all. And people are going out there trying to stop him. He's literally rolling around, you know, creating, you know, burning the grass up. And um, basically, um, not, not literally, he's just, like, he's, he's just moving so quickly on the grass. It's like, like you stroking a dog, you know. It's like that. Um, and uh, so he's doing that, and, you know, people are worried about that. And... Um, I think I quite unnecessarily say something like, let's invite the Spirit to come. Absolutely unnecessary. The Spirit was already there <laughs> doing his thing. But I will always remember, see, I, this is a very precious thing for me because there was, a, there was a girl there who had been deceived by her parents into going on this. She was French, and uh, basically nobody told her she was going on a Christian holiday with Christians. And so she, she, her, her parents were pastors, I think. And so they sent her on this thing, and she'd found out she was with Christians. She didn't speak English. I mean, how much more sort of sadistic can you get? And basically, I spoke a bit of French, so I was having a chat with her, and she didn't want to talk to me. She didn't participate in anything. She was only there because everybody else went there. You know, so she just turned up with everybody else. She stood in the corner, and all I remember is her being the first one down. Nobody prayed for her. She just went straight down as soon as the spirit started moving, and she was out for a good hour. When she finally came round, we found somebody that did speak French, and she said, what was that? And, and I said, I, well, that was the power of the Spirit. Does that mean I've got to become a Christian? I said, no, nope. it just means that God has touched you. That's what it means. <clears throat> Off she goes. But basically, it, that was one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen, with most people in the room being knocked to the ground. 
without anybody even going anywhere near them. So imagine that was my first time. Wow, first time, this is easy. You know, so, so really I've been doing it ever since. And I have seen that repeated in several places. I've been to lots of countries around the world. I pray for every sort of personality type, every age. Sometimes the spirit moves very gently. Sometimes he moves like a mighty wind. Personally, I prefer the second kind. So the spirit also brings new praise. In Acts 10, the spirit's poured out for the first time on the Gentiles and they start praising God. Spontaneous praise is the language of people who are excited about something. The praise of God should touch our whole personalities, including our emotions. The danger for many in their relationship with God is not emotionalism, which we're afraid of. It's lack of emotion. So if a comedy produces laughter, we regard that as successful. If a tragedy reduces the audience to tears, we regard that as successful. Um, if, a, if a football match thrills the spectators, the game is viewed as um, exciting. But if a congregation is moved by the glory of God, everybody says, oh, that's emotionalism. That's just silly, as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's, in my country, there's a lot of discussion about men not being in church and men not enjoying worship. You know, I go to a soccer match quite regularly, and I see men worship all the time. They've got their arms in the air, they're singing, whether they can sing or not, from the top, from the bottom of their hearts, with incredible passion. They're totally focused. They are worshipping, just worshipping the wrong thing. So basically, um, the work of the Spirit causes us to come alive in praise and worship of God. And finally, the coming of the Spirit releases us into a supernatural dimension of life. And that doesn't mean that once we've come to faith, all human other manifestations of life don't matter. And some Christians have done that, right? And that's why people like me and churches of my kind get into trouble, because it's almost like people become loopheads. They become complete kind of Christian mentals. And um, they seem to be, you know, be, they want to pray about which socks to wear. You know, does God have a view on which socks you wear? No. Do you know what I mean? It's like, just put them on. But, but, but they will, you know, don't come out without them. That's weird. Um, but, but what I mean is that the coming of the Spirit releases us from a sort of materialistic set of blinkers where all we understand is what we touch and feel. And so, for example, on, on the day of Pentecost, two things that are indicative of that is one is speaking in tongues, where they speak in other languages, and the other is prophesying, where Peter suddenly can stand up and explain what's happened to him. Now, this is a guy with no formal education who stands up and is able to interpret the Old Testament, interpret his current experience in the light of the Old Testament, relate it to the book of Joel and say, now, this is what Joel spoke about, that one day the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men, your old men will dream dreams on men and women, on servants, I will pour out my spirit, yeah? So he's able to do that. So that's an act of prophecy. Okay, so what I would like to talk about very briefly to end is um, something about the gifts of the spirit, just very quickly. This will be extremely cursory um, because you've done very well staying awake, but I can see some of you are struggling. Um, there are three lists of gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament, and what that means is that they're not definitive. Not mentioned in any of the lists are musical gifts, creative gifts, intellectual gifts, and yet we benefit from all of them, right? So one list is in Ephesians 4, and basically people are characterized as gifts to the church. God has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers. In another list, in Romans, a whole range of totally disconnected things are described as gifts. For example, encouraging people, leading people, serving people, giving money. 
disconnected. The word gift in Greek is charis, which means unmerited gift expressing God's love. And that means there's no such thing as a non-charismatic Christian, because all Christians have, have benefited from the undeserved gift of God's grace. So that means every single person here is a charismatic. We've all benefited from the gift of God, right? The undeserved gift of God. Um, the word is used in relation to such things as forgiveness of sins, the, the unmerited gift of forgiveness, and also our personal favorite, celibacy. I'm going to pray for a number of you afterwards to receive that gift. Because <laughs> it's so popular. But the list that I would like to mention very briefly is in 1 Corinthians 12. And it's a list of gifts that Paul um, <clears throat> gives. And I believe that the, the distinctive nature of this particular list is it's the gifts that Paul thinks are going to happen in a worship context. So, in my opinion, it's not about, from a Christian point of view, trying to work out what is my gift. It's good to come to terms with the fact that everybody here is a, is a dribbling gift monster. Let's try saying, I am a dribbling gift monster. One, two, three. I am a dribbling gift monster. Yeah. You, you are amazingly gifted. Everybody is gifted. Now, there are some people who have a very low self-image, and they don't believe that they are gifted. There are other people who are a bit arrogant and think they are amazingly gifted. Now, the better mistake is the second one, because at least arrogant people do something, right? So basically, um, <clears throat> these gifts, which I'll read to you, they are they're manifestations of what the Holy Spirit does in the life of Jesus, I would say. So to each is given, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom or utterance of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Now, when Paul says that at, those, that at the end, all these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses, I think the church has often read that to mean, right, God is going to give me one gift and he's allotted it to me. I think what Paul means is that when we get together to worship, you don't know who's going to exercise one of these gifts. So it could be anyone. So imagine God having a dancing hand. He could touch anyone and require you to, to speak in tongues, you to exercise a gift of discernment, you to exercise a gift of faith. We don't know. We don't know what the Spirit's going to do. So this is what I think is going on here. Now, the problem in, in Corinth is everybody's speaking in tongues. And the reason it's a problem is because they believe that they've received the language of angels, which means they've already gone into the heavenly realm. So there's all kinds of wrong in this understanding. But Paul wants to say there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues, but if you... If you um, drone away in tongues all the time then basically if an outsider comes in they'll think you're mad 
And that is a bad thing. Much better to think about something like prophecy, which is comprehensible. And if we all prophesy, it's quite likely that that will deck certain non-Christians who will receive the word of the Lord and they'll come to faith. Brilliant. So let's focus on things that are actually accessible to outsiders. But the thing to know about Paul is he's just not a promulgator of rules. And it would be a mistake to look at this like a series of rules. Paul is Mr. Rule, okay? He's a man that fulfilled the law, who claimed to be righteously faultless. If he needed rules, he wouldn't have become a Christian. So you should not interpret this as a series of rules. This is his guidelines for a particular situation in Corinth. So, for example, the reason he tells women to put veils on in Corinth is because the only people in Corinth that didn't wear veils were prostitutes or immature women. I do not believe that Paul thought women should generally wear veils, but he certainly flipping did in the church in Corinth. See what I mean? It's situational. So in this situation, people have gone overboard on speaking in tongues. And Paul wants to say, as he does in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, um, <clears throat> you can all, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but I want you even more to prophesy. Okay? So it's not like theoretical, well, it'd be nice if you all spoke in tongues, but hey, I want you even more to prophesy, but that's theoretical too. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you all to speak in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. But I want you even more to prophesy. He regards prophecy as the highest gift. Why is that? Do you know? Go on then. It does that, but that's not the reason why it's the most important gift. Pardon? Yes, and why is that critical? That's the answer. Why is that critical? Okay, the distinctive of the people of Israel was they had a speaking God. The surrounding nations had idols that were dumb and did not speak. So the fact that God speaks to the church is the indication that God is with the church. And Paul, being an evangelist, has a very convoluted bit of reasoning, which is, and you will know that that's true, because outsiders will hear the word of the Lord fall to the floor, and that is a sign to you that God is speaking through you and to you. Only an evangelist would come up with something so strange. But anyway... So, speaking in tongues, I know that has been a complete fixation for people in different parts of the world. Where I go to Germany, it's an absolute fixation. You know, God forbid that we'd ever speak in tongues. Um, where I come from, bizarrely, it's not an issue. So, I don't, I don't have a concern about speaking in tongues. Um, speaking in tongues is really important, as far as I can see, because it's the only gift of the Spirit that's given for you. And speaking in tongues builds you up, strengthens you. And what speaking in tongues is, is it's your inner being <clears throat> um, breaking free of the constraints of language. There are times when we're very, very happy and we don't know what to say. And there are times when we're very, very sad and we don't know what to say, but we still make sounds. Paul talks about sighs and groans too deep for words. And we do need to be able to articulate those sighs and groans. And speaking in tongues helps us do that. They are our sighs and groans. It's not the Holy Spirit. They're our sighs and groans. But the Holy Spirit gives shape and form to them. It's a cooperation between us and God. So there's no point in saying, God, I'm open to speaking in tongues and keeping your mouth shut. To speak in tongues, you need to articulate your sounds. And then the Holy Spirit will give shape and form to what comes out of your mouth. That's like me saying, Lord, I'm open to preaching a sermon, but I'm going to stay right here in this room and never leave it unless you make me. Right? It's not the way it goes. If I'm going to pray for healing, it's got to be me having the courage to put my hand on a sick person, pray for them, ask the Spirit to come upon them. It's me and God. 
It's always me and God in every gift of the Spirit. With speaking in tongues, it's your sounds and the Holy Spirit helping you to make them. Everybody can speak in tongues. Everybody can. Nobody has to. Nobody has to. Nobody has to become a Christian. Right? You don't have to become a Christian. It's a free gift, isn't it? In the same way, you do not have to receive other gifts from God. But I would like you to, as Paul would like you to, because it would be good for you. All the other gifts we receive are to be given away. If you receive the gift of healing, it's not for you. It's to heal someone else. Prophecy, it's for someone else. Speaking in tongues is actually for you, to strengthen you, to help you to pray. I'm sure you've experienced this, but Paul says, we don't know how to pray. This is in Romans. Uh, But the Spirit helps us in our weakness with sighs and groans too deep for words. And I think that's a reference to speaking in tongues. Okay, so that's speaking in tongues. You don't have to agree with me that I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. Interpretation of tongues is when somebody speaks out loud in a tongue and somebody else interprets it. Now, if it's an interpretation of a tongue, it's what you'll hear in English is an expression of praise or prayer. It's not a prophecy, but people often confuse the two. A prophecy is God speaking to us, but an uh, an interpretation of a tongue is the interpretation of what we are praying to God. Otherwise, there's no point in having the different gifts, actually. They're the same thing. Prophecy is when you believe that God has given you words that aren't just for you, and you should always ask that question, is it just for me? And if you think it's for wider giving out, then you say it. And you just say, look, I believe God may be saying this. You don't say, thus saith the Lord, or God is saying this. You just say, I think or I believe that God is saying this. You don't have to get it completely right. You don't have to be completely right. In the Old Testament, you'd have been stoned if you were wrong. But fortunately, we don't live like that now. Um, We prophesy in part. So we just do the best we can. We give the word, and we just leave it there. As long as we do it in a nice, loving way, we'll, we'll be okay. Um, and uh, Paul does say you can all prophesy. You can all prophesy. Um, then um, words of knowledge and words of wisdom. The charismatic church interprets that to mean revelations of information we couldn't know that we give out which apply to somebody there. So I was in a meeting once where I felt God say to me, there's somebody going on a cycling holiday to France with genital problems. Now that's quite specific, isn't it? And somebody came up to me afterwards, you know, quietly on the side and said, that's me. So that would be a word of knowledge, something I couldn't possibly know about somebody I've never met. And, but it's a word that's given that's an indication that God wants to heal that. And I've had many, many, many words like that, many words like that. And, of course, you can see the power of that. I think a message of wisdom is, is um, quite possibly knowing what to do with a word of knowledge, if I'm being honest. Because I think often when you pray for people, you know something. Uh, the question is, what, are you going to say it? How are you going to say it? When are you going to say it? You need wisdom quite often, I think, for these sorts of things. Um, and then healing, gifts of healing, speaks for itself. People need healing of all kinds of things, physically, emotionally, don't they? There are different sorts of healings that are needed. Um, working of miracles is really a deliverance. That's what the, the word actually means. It's dunamis. It's acts of power. It's the ability to cast out demons. And um, in a context like Corinth, where people came from pagan, uh, uh, very ecstatic worship forms, uh, which involves sp- uh, spiritism and everything, often there is a power encounter. And I'm glad to say we often see that in, in, on these life course weekends, because people have been involved in worshipping other sorts of things, other sorts of spirit inspiration, and it's always fun when there's a huge power encounter between whatever they've brought in with them and the power of the spirit. It's always very um, authenticating and exciting. Um, I think that covers all of them. Uh, gift of dis- discernment of spirits. Three different sources of inspiration, right? The Holy Spirit, humankind, and the devil. 
devil's pretty rare. Humankind's pretty common. Have you had that experience where somebody's saying what they think God, God is saying and you're going, yes, 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 and then you just carry on. You think, no, no, shut up, sit down. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's because they've just gone on too long. Often people give a prophetic word and then they effectively give it again. And then if you're really unlucky, they give it a third time. It's just insecurity. Just say it. And you know when you have pictures, I don't really like pictures if I'm being honest. Pictures are just the mechanism that God actually gives you the word through, right? So he shows you something in your imagination. But you actually, you know what, you don't need to tell people that. It's like showing people, look, would you like to use my restroom? I'm just going to explain to you how the restroom works before you go. You know, they don't really need to know. Right? So if somebody gives you a, an image in your mind, you don't really need to tell them the image. Tell them what you think God's saying. I mean, sometimes you do actually literally need to give them that because you haven't got anything else. But as a rule, you don't, it's like a double saying. It's the way God has spoken to you, but you don't need to show the technique. Just tell them the word. What do you think God's saying? And as we've heard... From, from, just from the people who spoke tonight, these things can be absolutely life-saving. They can be life-saving. So have courage and give these words. Now, here's the good news. What we do next is we get rid of the chairs around here. We all gather together as one Christian, lovely, cuddly body. And we sing a few more songs um, so that we draw close to God. And then we'll have an opportunity to do all of this. That'll be good, won't it? Oh, I knew you'd be enthusiastic. Okay, so chairs away and um, come forward and we'll all, we'll all play nicely together. So think it'll go on around you, but you do not have to play if you don't want to, okay? So it's absolutely fine. But, but we're going to give people an opportunity to do these things and you just need to see how you feel. So we'll just, we'll just sing a couple of songs and these are intimate songs and I suggest during this time, anything on your conscience, confess it, say to God that you, you want him. You'd like to come near to him, and we obviously all do. And uh, you might want to say, I'm seeking the gifts of the Spirit. Paul says, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean being slightly reticent and a bit frightened. And, okay, if you really want me to have a gift, I will. I mean, earnestly desiring means, you know, not having eaten for a while and being very hungry and seeing food and starting to salivate. I earnestly desire to eat some food. That's what Paul means when he says earnestly desire. I really want gifts. That's the ideal place to be in. I prayed for something like that. He was here on Friday night. It's fantastic. She just said, she was crying, and I thought, oh, no, she's probably been hurt in the past. She said, I just want the gifts of the Spirit. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's a great thing. She was, you know, she was desperate to receive the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, that's beautiful. Anyway, Jones, sing that a cappella, and if you can harmonize, do that. And, you know, just sing out quite loudly. Jesus, Jesus, holy anointed. I don't think he means predict the future. 
I think he means declare forth. And generally, prophecy is declaring forth. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great declaration of who God is. It's a, a declaration of his character. It's something, you know, a, 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 an immensity of the vision of God being expressed. But it can be, you know, this is what I believe God is saying to us, either to individuals or to all of us. Or it can be an interpretation of what's happening. And prophecy isn't necessarily limited either to words. It can be dance. It can be an, an act, an enactment of something. It's anything with the breath of the Spirit on it. Now, a number of you will be truly gifted to prophesy. Some of you will know, some of you will not know. So be open to that. Earnestly seek the gift of prophecy, it says. What is the word of the Lord to us? Holy are you, Lord. Holy is your name. Everything I've gone, my heart will sing how I
in the presence of the Lord. That was, uh, I, I felt that was a very moving moment of high praise there, wasn't it? Where we, where we need to release, you know, a great sort of ecstatic cry. And I'm glad that somebody started that with a big praise you, Jesus. <laughs> when it's real, it's, it's fantastic. I think it was laughter, actually. Okay, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Let, let's open our hands. I think the Holy Spirit is going to do something else. So can you be open to him? Let his presence come and touch you. So we've been giving, we've been giving out actually. We've been trying to receive gifts and give them out. This is, this is again, it's for us. This is particularly for people who are here, who are new, people who've been a bit frightened or a bit hesitant, people who've been a bit cautious, just to try and open the gates wide, open the gates wide.